0: Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for 2018. My name is Michael Laminato, and this is Round 9, the Austrian Grand Prix. The Austrian Grand Prix was predicted to be a straightforward one-stop win for Mercedes, but when the Styrian summer sun made an appearance, everything changed. Red Bull Racing won its home Grand Prix for the first time at the hands of Max Verstappen, but with three of the six front runners retiring, it was anything but easy. To look back at an unexpectedly enthralling Austrian Grand Prix, I'm joined by freelance F1 journalist Abhishek Taklev. Abhishek, how are you doing? Hi Michael, great to be back. Thank you for having me. Oh, not at all any time, especially when we've got actually something to talk about, which is a terrific change from a lot of the doomsaying uh, before the Grand Prix, which we all expected this to be an extremely straightforward one-stop, probably in qualifying order, and, although to be fair it did end up being a one-stop race. Certainly not in the way anyone expected it would pan out. Yeah, certainly.
1: I mean, despite it being just a one-stop race, I mean, I have to say the sylvan slopes of the Red Bull (laughs) Ring certainly delivered their fair share of drama this weekend. I mean, what a race we had. It was already shaping up to be quite the cracker after Mercedes' strategy misstep, and it just kept getting better
0: and better. Mm -hmm. Now, we'll get to that in a moment, but to set up the scene for this race, uh, the Red Bull Ring, which is, as you say, it's in the... uh, I won't repeat your words, but it was... In amongst the Styrian Mountains, perhaps the most scenic Grand Prix we have. But in terms of a circuit profile, it isn't the shortest, but it is the quickest. Yeah. Um, the, the pole position time for Valtteri Bottas was around 63 seconds. There was a hope that maybe we could get it down to less than a minute, but I think that is probably past Formula 1 by for the medium term. But the circuit itself is not particularly extreme other than scenically there's no particularly long straight no particularly fast corners or particularly slow corners Mm. that's not to say it isn't tricky but as a result we have a circuit that doesn't really degrade or wear the tires very much and combined with on friday we had pretty cool conditions the overcast conditions tire wear was almost non-existent yet again
1: yeah i mean
0: if i had to give this circuit
1: Human qualities. I would say it's it's a very Kimi Raikkonen circuit, <laughs> you know, it just it is what it is. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, tire wear is non-existent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the surface is smooth for the most part. Yes, you've got well the corners are again very. They are what they are, kind of corners. <laughs> but but yeah, drama as 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 we discussed.
0: Yes, uh, and that will unfold. One of the the few tire quirks, if you like, that. We found during Friday practice was that the Ultra Soft, which was the softest tyre, and we also had the Super Soft, slightly harder, and the Soft, hardest, hardest. still, uh, was graining. That was the only, the only issue any of the tyres seemed to have. So sliding across the circuit wasn't performing at its optimum, but even Mario Isler on Friday uh, evening after Free Practices 1 and 2 said, probably by Free Practice 3, the teams will engineer that graining out. Uh, and there'd be no problems. In fact, the Pirelli forecast for this race, as we said, was an easy one-stop. Mm. But I think for the first time all year, it, almost they were saying, well, you can probably stop whenever you want, and the tyres will last as yeah. long as you want them to. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't great uh, forecast strategically. Uh, but it does sort of go to show, and this, is, this was weirdly a, a discussion um, topic for the Austrian Grand Prix weekend, maybe because everyone was expecting it to be so boring, but with so many practice sessions... The quirks that you do discover earlier on the weekend almost never eventuate by the end of the race because the teams are so good at perfecting setup. Yeah,
1: true. Um, I think uh, as we were discussing in the media center, I think one, more, b- before the start of the race or qualifying or something, you, I, I remember you remarking, um, oh, this is going to be such a boring race because you saw <laughs> P- Pirelli's strategy forecast. And then the, mm-hmm. when you went for lunch at Pirelli, you picked up that uh, race set tire th- th- mm-hmm. sheet and everyone just had like, you know, it, just, it was clearly going to be a boring race. But it's one thing uh, to say that teams are so good at perfecting uh, setups, but I think some of them were actually caught out by, I think, the higher track Mm -hmm. temperatures that we saw on Sunday, because Mm -hmm. I think track temperatures were somewhere around 47, 50 degrees Celsius, which is the highest we've seen all weekend. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, uh, Ricardo obviously most notably uh, caught out by that, and even Hamilton couldn't make, uh, you know, he was struggling with the tyres after he pitted, so um, yeah, maybe maybe they over-engineered their cars, I don't know, but Mm -hmm. But yeah, certainly caught out by the higher track temperatures.
0: Mm-hmm. And that was the difference, as you say. The temperature forecast was moving up and down quite a bit uh, earlier in the weekend. Originally, Saturday and Sunday were always destined to be quite warm. Uh, but then for- that forecast was downgraded. In fact, the, the weather wasn't particularly warm, but the mm. sun was out the entire day from the beginning of uh, the support races right up to the start of the Grand Prix, which went the track was really warm, was completely different to the track that teams learned to and experienced on Friday during practice. And that seems to really be the decisive factor more than any strategic decision was simply the fact that the weather was very warm. Now, if we go into the start of the Grand Prix, Valtteri yeah. Bottas was the pole sitter, lost pole at the first turn to Lewis Hamilton, almost lost second two to Kimi Raikkonen uh, in an ambitious move. And this is actually something that... I feel like it's almost becoming part of Ferrari's strategy, though. Now, Sebastian Vettel wasn't in contention to take the lead of the race at the first term because he had a three-place grid penalty, so started yeah, from sixth. Yeah. But back in qualifying two, when uh, the top ten drivers decide on their race start tyres, uh, Mercedes and Red Bull Racing, wanting that little bit of extra strategic flexibility, I guess, and trying to avoid maybe the graining on the ultra-soft tyres, chose to qualify on the Supersofts, But Ferrari didn't, and they did that in France as well. It was the same split between those teams. And the difference is, especially in a race where everyone expected all the tyres to be more or less the same, it gave Ferrari, and in this situation Kimi Raikkonen, a little bit of extra grip. And I guess that sort of speaks to Ferrari's idea that, especially Mercedes seemed so quick this weekend, that maybe track position is what they needed to try and beat them. Yeah, I
1: think so. Uh, I mean, Ferrari have been very nimble with their thinking, strangely. I mean, mm-hmm. uncharacteristically, <laughs> I would say, uh, in terms of their strategy, in terms of time. They're almost, they're almost They've almost become like what Red Bull used to do, mm. uh, you know, go for an alternative strategy. And uh, it almost worked for Kimi as it almost worked for Seb <laughs> in France. You know, for a few hundred Mm -hmm. meters, it seemed that Kimi, I mean, Kimi was in second and when he got to turn three, he basically, you know, he got offline, got on the dirty bit of the circuit and he had a snap of obviously and that was it. And that Mm -hmm. that basically, yeah, Kimi, I mean, what a funny race he had. He finished second. Mm -hmm. He was charging at the end, fastest lap, lap record,
0: what Mm -hmm. have you, but he didn't actually pass anyone. (laughs) And he in
1: fact got passed a few times, but he still finished
0: second. Yeah, it was very unusual. On a weekend where I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about whether or not he'll be in the car as soon as the Belgian Grand Prix, if not 2019, uh, I get the result he wanted probably, but yeah, as you say, not really the resounding dominant race uh, for the Finn that maybe he would have hoped a second place would entail. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because he, he never... I mean, he, this is what happens with Kim.
1: He sort of, you know, he makes progress and then he knocks himself back mm. in the space
0: of a few hundred meters. Mm, I guess he just had that ultra-soft grip advantage, and, and mm. by the time, obviously, everyone else had warmed up their tyres, it had dissipated, and and that was that. And it seemed like that was more or less going to be how the race was going to pan out. At that time, we didn't realise how the, the weather was affecting those tyres. But that all changed on lap 14, when Valtteri Bottas ground to a halt with a hydraulics problem, a rare Mercedes technical failure, if you like... Um, Another dose of bad luck for Valtteri Bottas, I guess, considering it was first pole of the year and felt like this was the, maybe the last opportunity he would have to try and stake a claim into the championship fight between Vettel and Hamilton that's quickly escaping him.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I really thought this weekend was the weekend Bottas' luck would turn. Mm. I mean, this is a track he goes very well at. He scored his first podium here for Williams. Um he won here last year. I mean Hamilton was out of position last year, but he mm. won here and it was a pretty commanding victory. Um and he arrived he sort of went into this weekend with a certain sense of purpose and determination mm. because after qualifying he said, I can guarantee you there's nobody more hungry for the win on this grid than I am. Mm. You know, he had his sights set on that and you really thought it would turn for him. But you know, another one another one of what one of those what could have been races for Bottas sadly uh, yes, that is the lap that uh, you know. As you say, the race basically turned on its head because mm-hmm. Mercedes, up to that point, were looking set for a comfortable one too. They've they they, they introduced their engine step at Paul Ricard, um, you know, uh, last weekend. This weekend, they've brought some uh, significant aerodynamic upgrades to their car, and it all seemed to be working so well for them.
0: Mm-hmm. It all seemed familiarly dominant for Mercedes, obviously until that technical failure. And that gave teams a question because this was sort of right on the cusp of the first pit stop window that Pirelli recommended, especially if you're starting on the super soft tires as some of the cars were. Uh, but we did see most teams come into the pits because there was a virtual safety car triggered, which, of course, meant everyone slowed down. Not as much as a, as a full safety car, obviously, but nonetheless. And when I say most, I mean most except Lewis Hamilton, who was leading the race at the time. Uh, and it, almost immediately, it seemed like it was an error because Red Bull Racing behind him and Ferrari, they all dived into the pits. In fact, they all double stacked, especially mm. Red Bull Racing. Not mm. the first time they've done no. that this year and executed China. it again. Yes, excellently well. Uh, and it wasn't long before Lewis Hamilton sort of noted this as well. And r- rarely we hear James Vowles, the chief strategist uh, at Mercedes on the pit radio. This was one of the occasions where suddenly he was all over it. Uh, admitting, and again, this is also extremely rare, that he'd made a mistake, A, and had lost him the win, B. Which is incredible. When's the last time we ever heard that over team radio?
1: yeah. Uh, and this is—it it was a grave error. It was a glaring strategy error mm. because, uh, you know, yes, uh, but because under this under virtual safety car conditions, the track isn't at full speed, and you can mm. just sort of get effectively a free pit stop. Now, I know, being the lead car, you know, you've got to make that call is sort of probably uh, tougher to make. It's more of a dilemma because you know, because that basically allows the others to uh, react to what you're doing. And had Hamilton come in and. Uh, Red Bull split their strategies, leaving leaving one of their drivers out or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know that could have that could have cost him track position. But I still think, yes, it would have cost him track position. But I still think he would have regained the lead when those cars would have pitted later on because I don't think he would have fallen out of that or mm-hmm. been held up in traffic uh, long enough to fall out of their pit window. Mm-hmm. So definitely a glaring strategy error. Um, mm-hmm. James Arles owned up to it, uh, and it's not their first. Mm. And especially not their first with Hamilton.
0: This is particularly interesting, I think, because we obviously know Mercedes over the last so many years as being this dominant force. However, in the first three years in particular, they were never really challenged, were they? They were the odd race they'd lose, but there'd be always some unusual circumstance or a, an obscure technical failure that that caused it. Uh, In terms of strategy, it was only ever between Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg, which is not really strategy when you think about Mm. it. You usually just pit whoever's in the lead first because that's the way it is, and and you go on your way. More recently, however, when they have been tested, we have seen these errors emerge, and it's almost as though those three years of not really having to do very much on the strategy front, front have left them extremely unfit for a match extremely unmatched fit if you like yeah and or rusty yeah, yeah. yeah rusty we've seen these errors. china was a particularly good example where lewis hamilton should have pit when daniel exactly the same thing uh, australia likewise yeah. a not dissimilar error to this one in the sense that they didn't anticipate how advantageous uh, safety cars and virtual safety mm. cars would be uh, on pitting and not pitting it's unusual and you consider how many points now notwithstanding the fact both mercedes cars ultimately didn't finish the race so this strategic error never really came on to bear in terms of the points but there are a lot of points lost through these strategic errors rather than anything else
1: yeah absolutely i mean
0: uh
1: of course we know both of them retired we know hamilton retired uh this weekend so that was that was a, a big load of points lost on this weekend already but even even if he had finished he would still have uh, behind Vettel in fourth or whatever, he would still have re- retained the lead mm-hmm. of the championship, but by a smaller margin again. Mm-hmm. So yes, they have thrown away quite a few points. They lost the win in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, possibly in China as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is with, with, with Mercedes, and this is something interesting, was Toto Wolff was asked on Saturday after qualifying because, about the errors Sebastian Vettel has been making and mm-hmm. how you know that could be crucial to the championship. And, um, you know, because Vettel's come into this weekend under the spotlight for his error in France. And, mm-hmm. you know, people are then talking about Baku, Singapore and Baku last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Toto said, you know, if you don't, if, if you don't, if there are points and you don't, if you leave some points on the table, mm. uh, they could come back to bite you. And ironically, mm-hmm. that's, that's exactly what happened. I mean, but to his team. Mm. So they have lost a lot of points uh, this championship and yeah.
0: It would have been really interesting. We talk about that dilemma, and this is what Mercedes said, that you know, as the lead car, yes, you're in your pit stop window, but if you come in, it's very easy for everyone else to just react and not come in. Christian Horner said after the race that he was committed to bringing both drivers Mm. in. Didn't say whether or not it would be dependent on Lewis Hamilton, but it would have been fascinating had Hamilton pitted if Red Bull Racing would have decided to split the strategies because in some respects considering at this point they still really thought it was going to be an easy one-stop, there wouldn't have been really anything to lose either Mm. way. Because Mm. with Bottas out of the race, you're doing that classic pincer movement where you can't defend against two cars as a single driver. So potentially there could have been a really interesting strategic battle going on there. In some senses that did transpire because with Lewis Hamilton now sort of out for the count, he he was told he needed to either find eight seconds worth of time over the drivers with newer tyres, uh, or they have lost the race, essentially. Which is basically and they've lost the race. Exactly. So they brought him in uh, for his first pit stop on lap 25, so about mm. 10 laps later, and he dropped back into the pack uh, with Kimi Raikkonen and uh, Daniel Ricciardo. Mm. Uh, but this is the point, more or less, where we started realizing that these tyres were not going to make a one-stop very straightforward. Now, Max Verstappen seemed fine up ahead now, considering that he had clear air and I guess was running his own race. But Daniel Ricciardo in particular seemed to be struggling with blistering on the rear tyres, which is, mm. in some senses, the opposite of graining. Mm. Uh, graining tends to happen in cooler conditions, whereas uh, blistering in warmer temperatures, as we saw on Sunday. yeah. Uh, and suddenly, this was looking like maybe a two-stop. And before you knew it, now Daniel Ricciardo, he made his own second pit stop. Uh, he couldn't make it all the way to the end uh, on lap 38. And that seemed like, well, that's an easy position for Lewis Hamilton. But then, around that time, Lewis Hamilton started experiencing graining of his own. This is when he got really unhappy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Lewis was not was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean I mean that's I But 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 the interesting thing is Max seemed fine. Okay, he was in clear air. He was mm-hmm. leading. He was managing his pace. And and there was blister developing on the star, but never got as bad as uh, it did for Ricardo. Mm-hmm. The Ferraris were fine. I mean, Kimi was told I think around lap fifty five, I think it was, mm-hmm. uh, that he can now start pushing. There's nothing to worry and just go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that deep into the stint. He was told he was unleashed. basically. the Ferraris were unleashed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know why that. I mean, it's it's just this thing this season that we've seen that tires behave differently on different cars, mm-hmm. and so much so that you know even even different cars on the same team because it could be something so minor like a setup difference or just the way mm-hmm. the drivers sort of loading the tire up into the corner, you know, driving style, etc. It could mm-hmm. be so minor, but it can have like we saw yesterday, even cars in the same team. Uh, you know, such such vast differences in the way they use their tyres.
0: Mm-hmm. I thought Christian Horner sort of summed this up really well uh, with Daniel obviously in traffic and regardless, perhaps yes. using the tyres differently. But he noted that especially once there was that middle stint of the race where everyone seemed to be cruising and even into the end of the race, to be fair, uh, he noted that Max Verstappen was taking it very easy around the last two turns, which mm. I think at the moment are 8 and 9 or 9 and 10. Can't yeah. remember with the renumbering happened. The two quick uh, right-handers. right-handers yeah, yes, yeah. taking it very easy around there but then hammering it around the rest of the track where the blistering wouldn't be as severe, where it wouldn't promote blistering as much, Uh, which is why we sort of saw the gap wax and wane over the course of a lap between him and and the pursuing Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, There are a couple of interesting questions that come out of that battle as well, Uh, one of which, and this is not unlike um, the battle we saw, where was it, where uh, Valtteri Bottas was uh, being chased down, or chasing down rather, uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, early in the year is that timing of when you decide to push. And obviously, there's a difficult question to answer because teams are managing all sorts of things from how much they think they have of their tyres left and how much fuel they expect to have remaining by the end of the race. But you can't help but think that given that on the last lap, it was just a little bit more than a second difference between Max Verstappen in first and Kimi Raikkonen in second, that a slightly earlier time to push, even if they were to run out of tyres in the last laps and had to conserve might just push Verstappen's tyres, which were clearly had some damage on them to mm. breaking point, it might have forced the issue.
1: Yeah, I
0: think this is, a very, this is a
1: very easy thing to answer in hindsight. Yes, obviously, you should have pushed earlier. I mean, the same with Bottas and Bahrain, mm-hmm. but it's impossible to say because you don't know how long your tyres are going to actually. I mean, and simulations, hotter track temperatures, simulations are simulations, mm-hmm. you know, throw you just throw them out of the window, but uh had Kimi pushed earlier, would his tyres have lasted or Mm. or gotten... Because, see, Max had the lead. Max had a certain gap, so he could nurse Mm -hmm. his uh, pace and his tyres better than Kimi would have been able to because Kimi would have been just hell for leather pushing. So it could have sort of backfired on Kimi. But what I think Ferrari should... so It's impossible to say, you know, until after the race and you measure the wear and everything Mm. on the tyres after the race, you know, the timing of when you push. But uh, I, 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 I think, you know, what Ferrari should have done was got Kimi to push hell for leather, put pressure on Max, Mm -hmm. Seb could have played the waiting game Mm -hmm. because they had two cars. Red Bull had just the one. Mm -hmm. You know, they could have outgunned Max. So that way, even if Kimi cooked his tires and Max cooked his tires... Seb was right there waiting to take the win, mm-hmm. and Which- they were so far ahead. There was just there they they were just three top runners left. Everyone mm-hmm. else was a lap down, so there was absolutely nothing to lose mm-hmm. by Which- holding Seb back.
0: Which is also the second question I think of this. Uh, uh, ultimately, the end result rather than necessarily than whether or not or when drivers should push. But uh, given that let's not be let's not mince words. Kimi Raikkonen is not really in this championship fight. He's been lackluster let's say so far this season other than a couple of good performances early on let's not be let's not be too harsh it is what it is it is what it is uh, but Sebastian Vettel was in third. Lewis Hamilton obviously was not finishing the race. He came into this race, did Sebastian Vettel with a 14-point deficit. He leaves it with a one-point advantage. That could have been a bigger advantage had Ferrari done what they've done here before and also done it many other racetracks before and swapped positions of their drivers so that Vettel finished second. Do you think that perhaps they should have? Is this going to be similar to the, what we talked about after the Hungarian Grand Prix last year where Hamilton let Bottas overtake him uh, on the last uh, corner of the last lap? Uh, a discussion point whereby we say well you know federal loses the title by two or three points mm. are we all going to point to this race where ferrari easily could have given him those points
1: i don't know i i personally i personally think if you look at it from purely sort of logical sense mm. championship point of view sort of a sense then yes they should have swapped but i personally i'm glad that they did not mm-hmm. um just as I'm, just just as I was glad that Hamilton handed Bottas that place back in mm-hmm. Hungary. That's not; fair. it wasn't so much a swapping of positions as Hamilton basically living up to the promise he made Bottas, saying, "You let me mm-hmm. go, and I'll, if I can't get past or whatever, I'll I'll, I'll, let, I'll hand the place back to you." Mm-hmm. Uh, he was sporting, and I, yes, as you say, Ferrari have done this in the past in Austria, infamously in 2002 in Austria, and 2001 yes. to a lesser degree, um, and at race tax around the world. But I, I think there is a sense of and i know they they did it in monaco last year and hungary last year Ooh, in a way monaco
0: last year <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i mean they did they, but did, but, but... <laughs> they did it tactfully yes. <laughs> well tactfully yeah, yeah pit stop strategy
1: yeah but, but what i'm saying is maybe there's been some sort of a and i've noticed as there's a there's a different dynamic within the team this year mm-hmm. you know it's that There isn't as much of a number one, number two dynamic anymore mm-hmm. uh, is what I sense. And I think there's been a cultural shift also brought in by the new management. Now, I know this new management's been in place. Mm-hmm. They were in place when they did Monaco and Hungary last year. But I just think that might be the case. I mean, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, especially for a driver who's going to be leaving the team reportedly anyway mm-hmm. at the end of this year, Yeah, you know, but I guess they just want to do it right Mm, in a sporting manner which is good and Mm -hmm. good on you Ferrari for that
0: yeah well there you go and we'll wait and see if those points do count for anything towards the end of the season but a slender one point advantage uh, for Sebastian Vettel coming out of this race and that was the order for the top three Max Verstappen, Kimi Raikkonen, Sebastian Vettel no other front runners finished uh one of the the most attrition based races that i can remember oh, yeah. in recent times very rare to have all of these failures Daniel ricardo obviously also failed it was an exhaust problem that started blowing on all parts of the back of the car yeah and i think ultimately affected the gearbox it was amazing of.
1: it was like formula one mm. 15 20 years ago
0: mm. and lewis hamilton had a problem of his own as well obviously and he yes. retired so yes uh, a loss whole, in fuel pressure I think yes, it was, yeah. which uh, I wonder if uh, loss of fuel pressure means no fuel I can't <laughs> help but wonder that but Ooh. we'll never know I suppose uh, further down the order though uh, this is a big result for the team of Haas 4th and 5th, Romain Grosjean, Kevin Magnussen hard to know if this is a bigger result for Haas or for Romain Grosjean First points of the season, delivering on the promise that they'd made essentially at the start of the season. This is the result they expected to get in Australia, to be honest. Until they forgot to put their tyres on at the first pit stop. Uh, interesting to note that uh, Grosjean and Magnussen had split their strategies. Mm. Uh, one of the two teams, really, that split their strategies in a big way. Uh, the other one was Force India, which finished behind them. Ocon and Perez. Mm. Uh, Grosjean, in this situation, pitted behind the safety car, the virtual safety car, and Kevin Magnussen didn't. He waited till lap twenty-eight. Mm. Uh, And it's interesting that in the case of Ocon and Perez behind them, where Ocon pitted behind the virtual safety car and Perez didn't, that time difference seemed to count just enough. And as a result, the, the drivers that pitted later, not behind the virtual safety car, finished behind their teammates that did, which does show that... I mean, sometimes a virtual safety car feels like a bit of a grey area, doesn't it? A, you don't know when it's going to end. Yeah. And B, it's not as slow as a safety car, so it doesn't always work the way you expect it to. But I think in this situation, where the lap is quite short and we're overtaking is not that easy, it did make a difference for these two teammates.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a it's not just a short lap; it's also a fast lap, mm. you know. And uh, and while the virtual safety car may not slow down the the race as much as the actual safety car does, it does slow it down. Well, it is slower than uh, full race conditions. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you're if 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 the virtual safety cars just come out and you're passing the pit entrance, just pit. Mm-hmm. Which just is pit. normally yeah. what drivers yeah. are instructed to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I understand that bit. There's a grey area where you don't know where it's when it's ending, mm-hmm. and that's what got Sebastian Vettel out in Spain last year, mm-hmm. um, if you remember. Um, so um, so yeah, I mean, that's just the way it is, and you just have to you just have to capitalize on these uh, opportunities um. that 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 you know pop up occasionally
0: Mm, and perhaps noteworthy we talk about Haas we talk about Force India uh, which is a pretty big result for them as well given they've been sort of lukewarm so far this season Uh, one key team missing here was Renault now Nico Hülkenberg had a a failure a power unit failure early in the race as well just before Valtteri Bottas Mm. did actually Um, some said that's maybe what the party mode they've brought into this race is that was quite a party in the back of Hülkenberg's car I can tell you yeah it really went off Uh, but Carlos Sainz was missing from this he didn't have any technical problems other than he had especially bad blistering. Now he made it. He was he was on a two stop. Started on the ultra soft. Pitted behind the virtual safety car on lap fifteen. But then had to pit again on mm. lap thirty four. So only twenty or nineteen laps later, made it to the end with the super softs. He was in the points before that. This, yeah. sh- this should have been a points paying race yeah, for Renault, absolutely. which really shows. I mean, the top teams obviously had. Somewhat of a handle on it, they could manage it. But in the midfield, where it's much tighter, where you're really fighting all the time, uh, and where, in some respects, I suppose you could say the team maybe not less experienced, but less well resourced to handle these problems after practice, it really bit him really hard. Yeah, it did. I mean, it's going to turn on these small
1: little differences, you know, because Mm -hmm. the midfield battle is so tight that you get one thing wrong, and and it's not really getting it wrong. It's just that his tires, his car chewed through through its tires to a greater degree than his Mm -hmm. rivals did. So. Um, but Science was another classic case of what happened to Ricardo and what happened to Hamilton. They just couldn't make their uh, mm. tires last, and you
0: know they, they they were struck by blistering. But yeah, it was enough to drop him out of the points. Mm-hmm. But it was enough to ensure that Sauber got its first double points finish in yes. 2015, I believe it was. Charles Leclerc. Uh, I don't want to say in particular was impressive because he finished ahead of Marcus Ericsson. I think he just simply had the better strategy. He pitted behind the virtual safety car as well. He started quite far back. He had a five-place uh, gearbox penalty, whereas Marcus Ericsson did the opposite. Mm. Uh, and he did not only did he just pit later, he started on the soft tire, ran all the way to lap 45, and then switched onto the super soft. Uh, it still obviously made him up some positions, but not as. Uh, still comes back to that point that even that time, it was obviously not a full twenty seconds like you might expect behind a safety car or whatever it is dependent on the circuit. Uh, but it didn't make enough of it. Made enough of a difference for Leclerc that he could finish ahead of Ericsson and and continue this run. I think this is five points finishes in six races now yeah. for him, yeah. which is an impressive result and impressive for Sauber.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there was a there was a good bit of sportsmanship at Sauber as well because uh, I mean as as you can see uh Leclerc finished ahead of Ericsson mm-hmm. but Ericsson had actually been uh, let through by the mm-hmm. uh because he thought he could take the fight to the cars ahead. And Erickson handed the place back to clerk as was agreed, uh, mm. when when he couldn't. So, great bit of sportsmanship there that we, we probably should mention as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it's all sort of happening for Sauber as well, when you yeah. consider that um, Williams, on the other hand, did no good again in this race. Sunk through the field like Who? a stone. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Uh, we won't talk about them. We've talked about them plenty. Pierre Gasly is worth a mention. He finished just outside the points. Uh, he had horrific tyre wear, but that was largely because he had a collision with um, Stoffel van Dorn on the first lap, and that knocked his rear-left suspension out of place, or rear-right, perhaps, mm. uh, and was all over the place, obviously, after that that car. Uh, but Fernando Alonso, I think we should maybe conclude a mention on. Uh, this was a an impressive drive, A, because he scored points in eighth, place. So he took home some the first points from McLaren a little while now actually. Mm. Um but also because he he started from pit lane given he broke park ferme conditions because McLaren broke so many front wings on the curves at this circuit uh, yeah. that they had to fly in not a new one but a twenty seventeen spec front wing. Bolted onto the front of the car along really backwards the city. Yeah exactly. <laughs> he said afterwards we had no idea how to set it up. We didn't know what flap angle to use. We didn't know how it was going to respond on the car at the start of the race. Uh, he was doing quite poorly. I think he said something to the effect, like, there's no way I'm sitting 71 laps do- doing this race behind all the midfield. But uh, on the fresher tyre he pitted behind the VSE, uh, on the soft tyre, it all came alive for him. He did extremely well on it. Mm. The car with its old wing loved it somehow. And it does sort of go to show, we come back to that point, that different cars use the same tyres differently. This weird Frankenstein car <laughs> used them very well. Well, because...
1: It was going so slow. No stress on the (laughs) tyres.
0: I suppose that's true. Uh, It was an interesting Austrian Grand Prix from a strategic point of view, given that I guess conventional wisdom in hindsight would have suggested this should have been a two-stop race and perhaps the teams would have planned as much. But it was a one-stop race, just a really weird one where all the drivers thought... They were going to retire with tyre failures. Luckily, none of them did. Most of them just had technical failures. Yeah. Uh, Well, we can only hope that races continue to be this interesting with the last of our triple header at the British Grand Prix next weekend. But for now, Abhishek Takle, it's been a pleasure to look back on the Austrian Grand Prix with
1: you. Likewise. It's been a suitably sylvan setting to race in (laughs) and, uh, you know, great to be on the show. Just say goodbye. Goodbye.
0: (laughs) That was Freelance F1 journalist Abhishek Takle. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast and you can get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. You can also read the written report at F1StrategyReport.com or stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and Twitter. My name's Michael Laminato, you can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter and I'll catch you next week for a wrap up of the British Grand Prix.